Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. Good morning again. All right, you guys ready to go? All right, why don't you go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3 as you're turning there. Uh, as many of you know, in the fall, this past fall, this church gave an abundance of funds uh, to our phase one of our tilapia project for the island of Isla Tessajera in El Salvador, where we've come to love Pastor Arisaces, the pastor of the, one of the churches on that island that Pastor Francisco, our Hispanic pastor, has been in relationship with for over a dozen years. And we've come to love the people of that island. Uh, we cast vision for this phase one this past fall. You guys gave so generously to it. But we have not begun construction on the tanks yet. Uh, the Lord is revealing to us several steps that he wants us to take uh, beforehand. So some of these have already occurred, such as acquiring the deed to the property, so we know that, that there's ownership there. We wanted to address some relational walls that we had discovered have been built up uh, on the island between the people, between the government, the church, and so on. We also are trying to identify local representation. That will help us with future trips, with interpretation, uh, and all of the details that goes into that, our financial transaction, all those things. So tomorrow, Pastor Francisco, his son Daniel, Pastor Vicky and myself are going to travel uh, to the island of Isla Tessajera for four days. Uh, we're gonna be meeting with church leaders, with local officials and other nonprofits. Uh, what we're going to hope to do is to solidify the plans for the other phases needed for this project. So we wanna formalize our partnership with the church. We wanna formalize uh, our partnership with some of the other organizations that will be helping us there. And then we've also uh, began looking into the possibility of having a groundbreaking ceremony uh, for the proper fencing to begin so that hopefully in 2018, we can begin installing these tanks. Uh, I know in America, we're used to like putting food in a microwave and 35 seconds later, it's dinner time and we want things fast. Uh, we're trying to facilitate cultural transformation from thousands of miles away. We know we're not the answer. We're coming alongside of people in which we don't speak their language and we're, we're in good relationship with them, but we're growing in relationship. So I would appreciate your patience in this. I'd appreciate your prayers in this as we go down, that the Lord's favor would be upon every single meeting that we have, that we can make uh, tangible, uh, sustainable progress, and that we can begin obviously to build uh, the, the structures that are needed uh, to put into place. So we are going to be looking at training them uh, with spiritual, uh, financial, entrepreneurship, business concepts, uh, as long as just continued leadership training uh, in you know, biblical knowledge and so on. So keep us in prayer as we go this week, and we'll keep you posted as we progress through this and as we continue to develop trips there. On Easter Sunday, we started Challenge 22, and we asked you to just open your heart up uh, to the Lord for 22 days. We want you to keep your heart open for him starting tomorrow too. But uh, for these last 22 days, we've just said, listen, just pour your heart out to the Lord. Just let him come in. Let his presence and his power expose himself to you in ways like never before. So each of these weeks, we've preached out of the book of Colossians about rising above chaos that's in each one of our lives. Uh, even if you're walking in strength and confidence, it doesn't uh, protect us from chaos entering in. Uh, but obviously with the Lord, we can continue to keep it from affecting our soul. We've also taken Monday through Friday over the last 
uh, uh, over the last three full weeks to read through the book of Colossians. It's only been a few verses each week, but hopefully, or each day, but hopefully you've benefited from just meditating on those verses and allowing the Lord to speak to you. We've also taken the last three Saturdays just to take a moment of time in our day uh, to give thanks to the Lord for something that he's done. I was talking to my kids last night uh, or yesterday, and I said, I'm, I'm thankful for gravity. I don't know what happened. I was pulling off 79 one day. I'm like, we're on this ball that's spinning and rotating, and we stay on, and it just got really weird in my head. So anyway, <laughs> I'm thankful for gravity and many other things. But uh, we just want you to take time to, to, to thank the Lord for something that he's doing in your life, something that he's doing in your family's life, and just appreciate everything uh, that he is in your life. The last phase of Challenge 22 is today, really, where we just want our encouragement to you for the last few weeks is to connect with one other individual or one other family. Take them out to lunch. Invite them over to your house after today. Just get to know one other person or family from this church and spend a few minutes talking about what the Lord has shown you through this book of Colossians. If you're newer to Central and you're just hopping in here, you're more than welcome to connect with the family after church uh, and just to get to know them. I know that the pastors, we are welcoming uh, down in the fellowship hall people that are newer to Central here and you've been invited over these past several weeks to join us and uh, we're, we're gonna have a, a great time joining together in that way. So in Colossians 1, we talked about the only solution to chaos is Jesus. Colossians 2, we talked about how we can avoid being fooled by the chaos and all of the messages that are coming into our minds and our eyes throughout the week through culture, uh, through advertisements, through media. Last week, we talked about a new way to live above the chaos through Colossians chapter three. And today we're gonna talk about building shelters of peace in the midst of chaos. And that's going to, we're gonna camp out mostly in Colossians chapter three and a little bit in Colossians chapter four. So our desire really is that you have pressed in over these last 22 days and then it continues to develop, it continues to advance, it continues to go higher and it continues to go deeper with your relationship with the Lord. And I believe that developing and creating these shelters of peace can help us. I've identified three just within uh, these few verses within the book of Colossians chapter three. I believe that we could build a shelter of peace in our heart, starting with our own, own lives. I believe we could build a shelter of peace in our home whether you're an individual, I'm going to speak to the family today, parents or parent with children. And I believe that we can help build a shelter of peace within our church family, the greater uh, family of God as we join together. When I say church, I do not mean everybody that just comes together and meets in this. This is not the church, this building. We are the church. It's the people of God. So as you're going about in your daily interactions, the people who call Central their home and then other Christians that you know is the church, the greater church. I believe that we can structure these and we can build these and we can develop these shelters of peace for the sake of other people. God doesn't want you just to have peace just for your own sake, but that it can actually have a positive effect in other people's lives. How I many of you know people that don't know Jesus are desperate for peace? They might not know what they're looking for, but they're desperate for peace. I believe that they will actually find the one who can offer them true peace a lot more easily when the ones who are following the one who offers true peace actually walk in peace. How many of you know if you go to work or to your, your, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your, your, your relatives, if you go to them and you're constantly complaining, constantly letting them know how difficult your life is, constantly letting them know how stressed out and how anxious you are, they're probably not going to have an easy time believing you actually serve the Prince of Peace. 
So we can declare he's the prince of peace. He's the giver of all peace. But if we're not walking in this peace, we haven't made this book and the reality of his spirit practical in our lives. So it's stepping out of the theological and all of the theories of things and actually putting this into practice when chaos meets your life face to face. So you can even say, I don't have to quote you a scripture though, that's necessary. But you won't have to quote a scripture to your coworker. They'll actually see the peace of Jesus walking before them through your life. That will make witnessing a whole lot easier, won't it? I'm mad, I'm cranky, life stinks, and I got this dealt to me and this and this. Do you know my Jesus? Do you want to come to church on Sunday with me? No. I don't want what you have. <laughs> right? <laughs> How many of you know we face the same chaos as the lost world does, right? It's not like we don't get put into a bubble just because we know Jesus. But how many of you know we serve the Prince of Peace, the giver of all peace. He lives in us, and he wants to get out of us onto other people through his peace. So think about it. If you're at unrest in your soul, guess what ripples to everybody else around you? Unrest. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a room, like at a party or a gathering, and somebody walks in the room and you can actually feel tension come into the room? Right? Now, as Christians, we should be aware of the presence of God enough that the reverse is true also. And when somebody walks in the room, we can actually feel peace. I'm not being weird here. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Most of us can relate to the tense part because there's not enough people walking in true peace. So somebody walks in, you're like, oh, this just got awkward. You can actually feel the atmosphere change. How would you like it if this region started actually changing because of several hundred people sitting in this room? When they walk in the room, somebody says, whoa, something just came different. The atmosphere just changed and it feels more comfortable. I feel at peace. What is it that you have? I want that thing. And then it no longer becomes about us because it's just a sign and a wonder pointing them to Jesus. That's how this should work out practically. In Psalm 91.1, it talks about a shelter. It says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So we're talking about building shelters of peace within our life. So this word shelter here, it's protection. It's a shield. It hides us from harmful weather in the natural. But in the spiritual, it says, those who are living in the shelter of the Most High, what will happen? They will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He says, this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. Now, the one thing we don't want to miss is this. A shelter is something for temporary protection in the natural. So what we want to do in the temporary is get into the presence of God to be hidden by the shadow, right? Be in the shelter of the Almighty, the shadow of the Almighty, so that when we go out in our daily happenings, we will still be under his covering. We'll be able to walk in peace. So in the natural, a shelter is temporary. In the spiritual, we can actually walk under his peace after we leave our prayer closet. It's different. It's a traveling shelter of peace. Under the shadow of the Almighty, it says we will find rest. So let's take a look at what Paul's instruction is. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Follow the thread because you've been reading through Colossians or if you have, you know we're coming right out of the phase where he said to set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above, right? 
We have stripped off all the old and we've clothed ourselves with love and humility, patience, gentleness, all that stuff. So we are now clothed with the right things. After that, it says in verse 15, let the peace that comes from Christ roll in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So let's look at that first sentence. Let the peace that comes from Christ roll in your hearts. I love that. See, Paul doesn't mess around. He doesn't say, listen, I know you're anxious and you're worried and you might look like just like everybody else in culture. Just let a little bit of peace sprinkle in your heart. He's not saying, he's saying, let the peace that comes from the one who you call your savior actually roll in your heart. Not just take up residence, but have ownership and rollership in your heart. Now, I think in the United States, we get this word peace confused a little bit. The word peace scripturally here, and we're not gonna get into shalom in the Old Testament because that's even a, a greater word that we can study out maybe some other time. In the New Testament here, in the Greek, the word peace means tranquility without mental stress or anxiety. Woo, everybody says amen. <laughs> to have no worries. And it's re- the, the, the ultimate place of peace in your heart is to recognize the worth of your salvation. If nothing else, to wake up in the morning and realize how dirty, rotten of a sinner we were before we came to know Jesus Christ, and to understand and recognize once again the worth of our salvation, that should create peace in our hearts. Anybody agree? Yes? Yeah. So this is, I think, where we get it wrong a lot of times. In the United States, we think of peace as something passive. We think of peace as the absence of all problems, right? So we say we're at peace when everything's going right in our life. Oh, a time of peace. I'm on vacation, right? I'm not around my kids. I'm not around my coworkers. I'm not around this or this or this. So now I could be at peace. That's a passive that's a, that's a passive understanding of the word of peace because it means if you all do me right, then I'll be okay. But guess what happens when some of you start to do somebody else wrong? Then the peace is gone. That's not the biblical word peace that Jesus is talking about when he says peace be with you. And it's not the biblical word that Paul's talking about. This is an actual, it's an intentional word. It's an active word that's saying, I am going to be complete. I am going to be sound. I am going to be whole. And I am going to live well. That's an active, intentional way of living. So it's kind of weird when you think about it, but the biblical word peace, you actually have to fight for this peace. Now, I understand what, I understand some of you could say, well, Jesus did it all on the cross, and so now we just rest in him. I get that, but with our mindset of resting sometimes, it means I'm just gonna lay down and hope nothing bad happens to me. That's not what Paul's talking about. Think about it in military. The military of the United States has to act, be ready to fight at all times to keep the peace, right? There's military all around this country and all around this world, ready, locked and loaded to go to battle at any time. The reason they're doing that is to keep the peace here. If they're not ready to fight at any time, then there will be anarchy in this country. Unfortunately, in the natural, sometimes we actually have to go to war to regain peace. So just take this into the spiritual now. The Bible's very clear. We are in a spiritual battle. So at all times, we have our armor on, we stand strong, we're ready to go to battle at any time to keep the peace. 
And when there is an assault on our soul, when chaos invades our minds, we must go to battle and fight that with the spiritual weapons we have to regain peace. So we don't sit back and hope everything good happens to us today and say, oh, this was a peaceful day. No, it could have been a very difficult day, but you could go to sleep in peace. How many of you would like to be in that place in your life? You have a terrible day. Bad things happen to you all day. And you can lay down and say, Father, today I recognize my salvation. I recognize where I would be without you. I rest now. I rest under the shadow of the Almighty. Right? It's as simple as turning your affections toward him the few minutes before you go to sleep. So in America, we do external to internal. In the kingdom, it's internal to external. Think about this. When you get born again, do all of your activities and lifestyles automatically change all the time? Not all the time. What happens when you get born again is your spirit gets regenerated. Where's that? Where's your spirit? On the inside or the outside of your body? Inside. So the inside gets regenerated, renewed. It's an internal reality and then it becomes an external reality. You don't drink, smoke, swear, do this, do that, mess around anymore. Are you guys following me? Yeah, you with me? Respond a little bit. Help me out, help me out, help me out. So things are happening to you on the inside that then should affect the outside. The same is true with peace. We don't wait for everything to line up in our life. We let the peace that comes from Christ roll in our hearts, which is inside. Inside, and that should affect our outside to a point that it affects other people's lives, where the, pre, the, the peace of God actually gets on other people when we interact with them and we minister to them. Slime them with your peace. It's an internal reality. The kingdom doesn't work the, rest, the way the rest of the world works. The kingdom starts on the inside. It's a spiritual reality that becomes a physical reality because you're hosting the presence of God and the peace of God in your heart. And then it can actually help other people as a result. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says this, for unto us a child is born. This is not a Christmas verse. It's funny when you read this verse outside of Christmas, you're like, why are we reading this now? For unto us a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now listen, and the government, that word government means dominion. All dominion will be on his shoulders, which means, guess what? He's in charge. The son of God is now in charge. And what is he called? The wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So guess what a prince gets to do? A prince gets to hear what the king is saying and make decrees and make it happen in the land. And what did Jesus say he does? He only says what he heard the father saying. The father says something to the prince of peace, the prince of peace declares it and it happened while on the earth. That's why there's not one sick person that walked away from Jesus still sick. There's not one person that had a demon inside of them that came to Jesus and walked away with a demon. When he decreed something, it happened. Now his spirit lives in us. This can happen. We can actually walk in peace. We can allow the peace of Christ to roll in our heart. So if you follow these verses out, it actually says that the government, the dominion of God sits on his shoulders. And he's the prince who can decree things. And again, that word peace in this verse, in the Old Testament means wholeness, completeness, safety, satisfaction blessing, health. And it's all ultimately looking forward to salvation. 
Are you seeing peace a little bit differently today? That word in the Old Testament, wholeness, completeness, safety, satisfaction, blessing, and health, ultimately looking forward to salvation. And it doesn't say all your problems are gonna go away. Look at the New Testament version of this, Ephesians 2.14, the culmination of this. It says, Christ, I think it's gonna be on the screen here in a little bit. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles until one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of his hostility that separated us. So you see two walls being broken down here. The Gentiles and the Jews were at war with one another, relationally speaking, and we are at war with God, relationally speaking, before we came to know Jesus. Our sin wars with his holiness until we bow our knee to him. In the second half of verse 15, it says, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. In verse 17, it says, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. So if we look at Jesus, he's the carrier of peace. He's the only one that gave us a chance to be at peace with God. We were at war with God. Jesus enters the picture. We give our life to Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus, we come into peace with God. I mean, if we could just realize that one part, you're at peace with your maker. When you stand face to face with him, you will be at peace. It's not going to be a rejection. It's not going to be ascending away for all of eternity. You are at peace with your maker. How can that not do something when your brakes go bad? Oh, my brakes went bad. Now $400 is not under warranty. And this, they are, they've been going bad. Da, da, da. We completely, we completely get undone by such things that are so minuscule in life. Sir, your brakes are bad and your transmission is bad. Oh, God, I am at peace with my maker. Oh my goodness. Your brakes aren't gonna matter 10,000 years from now when you're enjoying heaven. We have to put some of this stuff in perspective. I'm preaching to myself right now, trust me. <laughs> like seriously, think about chaos in your life or the things that we think are chaos. Man, and, I, and I, I, bow, I actually bowed my knee, I bowed my heart to the Prince of Peace. And I get bent out of shape if like too many light bulbs burn out at one time and I have to go to the store late at night laughing at me. It's because you can relate to it. <laughs> think, about, think about how quickly, think about how small something could be in life and you're undone. You're undone. And we're at peace with our maker. Colossians 3.15, I already read it once, but it talks about the peace that comes from Christ rolling in your hearts, okay? So if Jesus is your Lord, and he is who the Bible says he is, the prince of peace. And he's a prince and he should be able to roll in your heart. So this is the problem. I think this is, this is it. Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit already lives in you. Okay, so that's not the battle. He's not like dripping more and more and more. It's as we expose ourselves to more of him, then more of him comes into us. 
More of him changes us, reveals, transforms us. So what I've found out in my own life and I think in other Christians' lives is this. We make Jesus our Lord. We just sneak back up on the throne of our heart too often. Like, I know you're up there, Lord, but like, I think there's room. And we squeeze ourselves in there and then we're, we're in charge again. And I didn't do a very good job being in charge of my heart before I came to know Jesus and probably neither did you. So it's not like difficult. It's not like, God, please roll over me. Please roll in my heart with peace. It's just getting off of the throne of your heart. Like, Jesus, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this at all. So now you're in charge. You're in charge. My brakes go down. I'm not gonna look at the bill. I'm gonna look at you first. You're in charge. You'll resettle my mind, my heart, my soul. I'll be able to walk in completeness, walk in wholeness, and then actually have the peace of Christ rolling in my heart. So that's the shelter of peace that we have an opportunity to build in our own hearts. The second one is kind of out of order, but I didn't write the Bible, so I'm going to preach it the way it was written. The shelter of peace in our church are the next uh, verses here. I believe that a shelter of peace in our heart should transcend to a shelter of peace in our home before it gets to the body of Christ. But I'm just going to preach through these verses how it's written. The second half of verse 15 says, for as members of one body, Can you say one body? For as members of one body, you are called to live in? Oh man, not just with yourself, but now with other people. Sometimes people that irritate you and that frustrate you and that choose things that you wouldn't choose. I mean, just look around. Take a minute to look around. Like these people are different than you, right? They do life different. They do family different. They make different choices. They They don't read the Bible maybe in the same reading plan that you do. They pray differently. Right? While some of you are like this and the other ones are like this, worshiping quiet. Like, as long as our hearts are engaged, I don't care how you worship, I just want your heart engaged. Right? So you worship differently. And it says that we are one body called to live in peace and always be thankful. And it says, let the message about Christ and all of its riches fill your lives. This is not an individual your, this is a corporate your. It says, teach and counsel each other. With all the wisdom he gives, we learned about this in the first week, right? That all wisdom, that secret, hidden wisdom, the mysteries of God are hidden in Christ. So it says we should be able to teach and counsel each other. That does, Paul did not picture one person standing on a platform talking to hundreds of people. This is a daily interaction where you're teaching, counseling, equipping, and encouraging one another. It says sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, can you say whatever? That's just a fun one. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything that we do or say as a part of the body of Christ, we are doing it as a representative of Jesus. So if we're called to live in peace with one another, we will have disagreements sometimes, right? Within this, um, let's just talk about just our church family. We won't even talk about the church of the city. He's writing to a church of the city of Colossae. We won't get to the church of Washington or Washington County. Just within the 400, 450, 500 people, whatever, that call central their home. How many of you know we're going to have disagreements? It's within those disagreements we're called to live in peace. Right? So the only option that we have is to remain as relational as possible with one another. That means when disagreements arise, when you don't like decisions that are made by your growth group leader or one of the pastors or how the worship is or whatever, 
You have a choice at this moment. You have a choice to step back and allow a wall to come up or to continue to pursue peace within the body of Christ. Now in the natural, how many, well, I won't ask you how many of you know because you might have a family member sitting next to you. Sitting out here, you might know of a family that's dysfunctional in the way of solving conflict, right? So you might know or you might be one where a parent hasn't talked to a child for not days, not months, not years, but decades. Or two siblings haven't talked to each other for years and years and years. And you know what it may have been over? Who cooked the turkey at Thanksgiving in 1973? I mean, it could be something that absurd. And because we chose to be selfish or prideful, we didn't reach over that wall of conflict, division, whatever, and now there's, there's break. There's actual division now in natural families because conflict isn't resolved. I'm telling you, the same can be true in the body of Christ. When conflict arises, we have to step through that wall of uncomfortability and tension, all that stuff, and we have to talk through things. We have to walk through this. It's in Matthew chapter 18. If you've read over our new constitution and bylaws, these verses 15 through 17 are plastered throughout because we're serious about remaining in good relationship with one another. So if we just admit we're not always going to agree with one another, but we'll also try our hardest to fight for peace, to regain peace within relationship, then you're not confronting someone to show them your sin, to show them their sin. There's a big difference. You guys know that? When you're approaching confrontation, can you feel it getting a little bit more tense in here now that we're talking about this? <laughs> I actually did feel it come in. If, you, if somebody wrongs you or if you just completely disagree with something, it's probably not easy for you to just go and point out their offense, the offense that you have against them, right? It's probably not easy. There's two approaches. One is to show them that they're wrong to prove that you are right. That's not biblical. The biblical reason why you go and show them your offense, the offense that you have against them, two things. It teaches them, it could be a strong rebuke, it could be a correction, but it teaches them how to interact with you better and it protects your heart against unforgiveness and, and, and embitterment. So the goal of solving conflict within the church is peace. It's restoration of rest, re relationship. It's resolution of the problem. And these are really hard conversations to have. But if you're not going to choose to do it, then this body won't be one of peace. Every single one of them. Well, I'm not really a social person. Or I'm not really good at conflict. Then bring somebody else along with you that's a peacemaker. That's what Super Church is learning about that. Actually, preschool is learning about that today. Are you going to be a peacemaker or a peacebreaker? From Colossians. We, ha we have to work hard at this if we want to remain one body. So look what happens here. It allows peace to flow through teaching and counseling. It says teach and counsel each other. So if we're at peace at a, as a body, even in the midst of disagreement, even in the midst when chaos hits, we'll actually be able to teach and counsel. How many of you know if there's division, strife, and there's not, there's not trust, you won't be able to learn from the teachers of this church. You won't be able to learn from somebody next to you because you'll you know, you always be wondering, I don't know if I trust them or not. Look what happens here. It says sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So unified true worshiping 
and spirit and truth can happen when we are at peace. Now picture what's released into the atmosphere when you are ticked off at somebody else in this church, you're mad at them, they did you wrong, and then you raise your hands to worship and you're singing, right? If you're holding unforgiveness to somebody, but you're, you're, you're singing about the forgiveness of the Lord. Or better yet, if you and a few people gossiped outside in the foyer and then come in and sing about his holiness. Think, I mean, think, look, honest, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be real. Like, think about what's being actually released when you're singing. So like, if we, it, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a fighting. It's an intentional act to fight for peace within the body of Christ. That's why I think it's in verse 14, when we didn't read it, that it says that there's a beautiful harmony. The word harmony is, at least in the New Living Translation, you can correct me if I'm wrong. What harmony is, it's a beautiful sound that comes from many different instruments. So God knows what he's doing. He's putting many different people into local congregations, church families, that actually have the opportunity to make a beautiful harmony. Hundreds of different sounds coming together in a beautiful harmony. How many, how many of you know inst, uh, instrumentalists? Is that the right word? People in the orchestra have to practice really hard at that. Musicians, that's the word. How many of you know there's a lot of practice that it takes before harmony happens? So we don't, we, we, you know, we preached the message on church family last year and like, okay, now we're just good. We're a family, we're gonna move on. No, this has to be absolutely intentional at all times to remain relational. And then as a result, we can actually represent the Lord Jesus in everything we say and do. The last shelter I wanna talk about is the shelter of peace in your home. Here goes some basic instructions that Paul gave. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting for those who belong to the Lord. I believe submission has been taught an unhealthy way for many years. I wanna look at Ephesians 5, 21, where it actually talks about submission and I wanna speak about it just for a few minutes. Ephesians 5, 21, it says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what comes first is there's a submission to one another out of reverence for our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So he's saying here, the wives are submitting to the husbands as they're submitting to the Lord. It says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the, Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. And then it continues on. So the instruction in verse 18 of Colossians chapter three, and then what we just read in Ephesians, is for the wives to submit to husbands because the husband is the head of the wife. This is where we get the primary phrase, the priest of the home. I did a wedding, I think it was just last week. Yeah, it was last week. Um, and the Lord started showing me, he just started reminding me what the primary role of a priest was in the Bible. Do you know? A primary role of the priest was to serve the Lord, minister to the Lord, and worship the Lord. So if we, husbands, are going to be the priest of our homes, then our primary priority needs to be one of servanthood, ministering to the Lord, and worshiping the Lord. It's out of that service to people, ministry to the Lord, and worship to the Lord that people will want to come under your headship. 
I've heard it said before, you know, that it's like the woman is the weaker part because the man is the head and the woman must submit in this way. And it almost comes out like in an angry tone. Look at the context of Ephesians 5, 21 through 25 that we just read here. What is the context? We first together submit to the Lord and the wife is instructed to submit to the husband as the head or the leader. But what's the comparison? What's the comparison? The husband as the head of the house is supposed to lead the wife just as Christ, the head of the church, led the church. So all we have to figure out now is how did Christ lead the church. He gave himself up for her. He did everything inconvenient. Like nothing in Jesus's life was really convenient if you think about it. He gave up everything that was convenient for him for the sake of the church. So as husbands, how about instead of reminding our wives how they're supposed to submit to us, we spend our time giving them godly leadership that is worth submitting to. And I'm not being harsh. How about we operate in such a way in godly leadership that they want, they want to be led? And when you look at this, this is this headship, this covering, it should provide protection. It should provide a shelter. It should provide encouragement and lifting up because the woman completes the union with the man. So now there's a complete union. The two have become one. And the man continues to lift up the woman and encourage her to the destiny that God has for both of you. So the leadership of the man should never be demeaning, but should empower the woman. You guys okay with that? You don't have to be okay with it. It's what God's word says. I shouldn't have asked that question. <laughs> I should have just been like, are you okay hearing this right now? It's a completely different way. We, we hear the word dominion and we think like power, we're gonna do this and this. No, when the dominion of God rested upon Jesus's shoulders, he came and he washed the feet. And he even washed Judas's feet who he knew was going to turn away from him. So there's a divine order in the home. And when that divine order takes place the right way, there will absolutely be peace in the home. There will be peace in the home. Two side notes to this. If you're married, women, if you're married to a man that does not have peace with God, then you are the carrier of peace during the season of your life. Don't get lost, don't get discouraged. You have the peace that comes from Christ alone in you. So if your husband doesn't know the Lord, don't get discouraged. I understand it could be discouraging, it could be chaotic. Don't allow yourself to get drugged down into a pit. You come, you wake up every morning. The peace of God is inside of me. I will release peace within my home, within my conversations, within my parenting to my husband. And you be the light that he sees. You be the example. You represent Christ in all that you say and you do, believing that they will come to Christ one day. Single ladies, do not, young ladies, please do not even consider Dating or marrying a man who is not operating as a priest already. If he's not ministering to the Lord and serving other people and worshiping the Lord, the, the switch isn't going to click when you guys get married. Everything's going to be better when we're married. So I wouldn't even, don't give it a chance. You could be respectful, be peaceable. Don't even step into a relationship if the man is not already. You remember the ladder we had up last week? If you picture the man being the head of the house, leading the home. The man then would be one rung above the woman. It does not, I'm not talking about in weakness or anything like that. Just picture the illustration. So if he's in a place that's lower than where you want to be right now, that's a problem. 
He should be like at the top of the ladder, no matter where you are. And then you can grow into that. So we have to think about who we're even choosing to date. Well, we'll just figure it out. We'll do this or that. My encouragement would be don't. Okay, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. We've talked about this. This is my encouragement. We just had a great uh, men's retreat this past weekend. I was able to be at two of the sessions. Loved both of them. Simple messages of being men of God. If we want, if we truly want a revival in this church, we need to have a revival in our homes first. So men, that means we need to have a revival in our hearts first. We need to be the ones coming up. Not that we, we, you, we, we usually see more passionate women, worshipers, you know, people that are just willing to go after God than men in churches. So I'm not saying the women shouldn't be coming forward, but men, we should step up too and say, I'm, not will, I, I'm okay, I'm not gonna be embarrassed. I'm not gonna be like, well, what's he doing this and that? You're, you're worshiping your creator, the one who you are at peace with. I'm not worried about what somebody else thinks about me. Right? Like you're standing face to face with God at the end of time for the final judgment. You're not going to be looking behind your shoulder to see if someone's laughing at you. And I know some of you, I'm not saying you all have to be like crazy worshiping. I'm just saying let your heart connect with the Father when we're worshiping. Men, single men, I don't know where you are because these are all girls right here. And one married guy. I, I, I see a couple single men now. Do not even consider dating or marrying a woman who you're going to have a hard time not treating harshly. If, some, if there is a woman, I'm serious, that is complaining and critical and always in a bad mood and you're thinking, this is gonna be really hard to be gentle with her all of my life, don't date her. Write her a letter and get away, quickly. <laughs> do you think somebody with a critical spirit is going to change when you say I do? Absolutely not. You can win her to Christ, right? We can love people. I'm not saying be critical of them. I, I'm obviously trying to be a little bit humorous. But I'm being serious. Don't waste, you're, we're wasting years of our life. This is the thing. We think that once we have the job and once we graduate and once we're getting paid and once we have our house, then life begins. And we're teaching you there's no junior Holy Spirit. Start changing the world now. Start getting busy ministering now. So why waste weeks, months, or possibly years Dating a woman who's always critical, always causing strife, and you're thinking, what is this going to be life like for the rest of my life? So be nice, care for, be Christ to her, but then get connected with someone who is going to help complete you so that you can advance the kingdom together. Verse 20, I'm almost done. Verse 20 says, children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. I like this verse because you can obey your parents while you're upset with your parents. Isabella says, amen. No, <laughs> so when you don't like the decision the parents are making, you don't like how your parents are parenting you, you can actually obey them because you're pleasing the Lord. I do believe that disobedience at any age, when we're disobeying an authority figure, it comes out of either pride or selfishness. The pride side of things is, I don't think you're doing it the best way. I have the best way. And selfishness is, I just don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way, whether it's good or bad. So you know what we can do is look back up in earlier Colossians 3, strip off all of that nasty stuff, clothe ourselves with love, and begin to obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. 
If you think about it, parents across this room, we are responsible for raising up world changers. And when we hear that word world changers, you don't have to be a parent that's like, you know, leading a pep rally, we're gonna change the world. No, one by one, one person at a time, one student at a time, your children can be changing the world. Who knows who is going to witness to the next Billy Graham, the next evangelist, the next pastor who will impact thousands of people? Who knows if you're raising up a medical professional, a teacher, a businessman or a woman, right? We believe at Central that you're all in ministry. The day you said yes to Jesus, you were commissioned into ministry. So don't look at vocational ministry as the only thing that's ministry. So you're raising up ministers of the gospel who will change the world. Now, my wife and I had four children right under four years. So Samuel was born four days before Isabella's fourth birthday. I know about chaos. <laughs> I remember, and it's, not, it's not, nothing against them. I remember coming home from, uh, from work and Sharice is doing her absolute best, cooking dinner, stopping that, change a diaper, soothe somebody here. And all four kids are just like crying. I mean, they're young. Four, three, two, and just born. So I'm not saying that like you go home and you're like, okay, this is the house of peace. Nobody mess up, right? Don't drop food on the floor anymore. Don't ask me more than 10 questions a night before bed. Take your own bath and shower. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's chaotic in homes with young kids. It's just loud, noisy, and there's just a lot of activity. So we have two choices. Go insane. See, you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> or ask for the peace of Christ to rule your heart. And even when it feels all tense and you raise your voice more than you think, this and that, I missed it, God. I'm not gonna walk in guilt and condemnation. Peace that comes from Christ, rule my heart. I'm getting back off of the throne of my heart and I want you, Christ, to rule my heart. Right? I want you to, uh, we're gonna end this service today. I want you to watch a video of a couple from our church who had much chaos in their lives until God stepped in and said, enough, there will be peace in this home. June 6, 1998. We were both uh, living in the world. So we decided uh, that we would start exploring going to church together. I struggled with submitting to him and letting him lead. There was that inner struggle for leadership in the home. My spirit was torn because God's always whispering in my ear, you need to be the pastor of your home. We were at the point in our marriage where we realized that it was what we thought was broken beyond repair. Pastor Teodoro, a Spanish uh, pastor uh, down at The Rock, he was uh, really into um, counseling and, and praying with uh, uh, couples that had uh, broken marriages. And uh, so we get there with all kind of expectations. Oh, no, I was ready. I was ready to bring out Shit. all the, he did this and he did that and he did this. And what a surprise when we walked in. We both just were in so much awe of the presence of the Lord in that room. And he prayed for us to start. 
And we never, I don't even think that we said two words in that whole meeting. But we cried yeah. and cried and cried. I mean, we're talking 17 years that we have, you know, butted heads and have hurt each other with words and in actions. And so that's how hard that our hearts were. And so we were to the point that when we decided this was it, we were both okay with it, which is a very, very scary place to be. I remember she started and pastor quickly dismissed it and was like, and where is Jesus in all of this? As soon as I start to say, well, I think um, we just can't talk to each other. And very lovingly, he was like, that's not your problem. He knew. That's not the problem. It's God's divine order. That is what's going on. You are not living in God's divine order. And it can't work until you have the divine order. You both seek in God first. And then from that point, he said, to go into your safe spot. So Leticia went sitting on the other side of him and laid her head right here on his chest. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. <laughs> like, we can't even talk, and you want us to hug? Right. Like, like that's an all reality. That's how we were looking at each other. We both had been changed. It just felt like both of us had so much hope and so much strength. I said, literally 10 hours ago, we were done. It was a complete change. And I started listening to God and not to man about what was right in, in my family and me being a pastor of my family. Things started working out. And then Pastor uh, Teodoro, uh, had uh, mentioned that, uh, you know, we need to renew our covenant. And over time, as we're meeting, you just see a world of difference in the children. They're seeing us hugging, uh, seeing mom go in her safe place, and uh, uh, they're just smiling more. They're more engaged. Uh, they're more happy. And I'll just say to any couple out there that's struggling in their marriage, right now that there's hope whether you have been married a year or whether you've been married 50 years or more there is hope little by little you're gaining momentum and you're gaining ground before you know it you're going to be dating again when you first get married you both come in and you have all this stuff and from your past or whatever. And you feel like, I, well, I felt like he needed to fulfill my every need. Nobody can fill those holes. And no one, you can't have all your hope in a human. You have to put all your hope in God. We, we are, are the answers, answers and, and this, this is, is our story. story. Woo! <laughs> Where is JR and Sunday? She's in the nursery serving, JR. Thanks so much for letting us share your story. Awesome, awesome story of God's grace and hope. Why don't we stand at this time? I want to sing one song uh, with you together. I just want to read a verse first. In chapter 4, verse 5, and it goes through and talks about masters and servants and so on. But in verse 5, I believe, is the result of actually being able to be at peace in your own life, be at peace in the home, be at peace in the church. 
It says in verse five, to live wisely among those who are not believers. So now this should actually affect the non-believer. It says, and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Some of your translations say seasoned with salt so that you will have the right response for everyone. So when we carry this peace with us, we can be gracious to people who don't believe what we believe or don't agree with us. We can have our conversations seasoned with salt. I like what it says is because we're not worried about all of the other chaos, it says we can actually take advantage of every opportunity. It says make the most of every opportunity. So we don't walk around mad at life and mad at people and miss opportunities to minister to non-believers. That's the result. I said it before. How awesome would it be if this region actually started noticing a difference because families of churches across this region were walking in peace and people felt it when we walked into the room or the classroom or wherever you influence people. We called young adults and children up a few weeks ago. And tonight, while we sing, or today, while we sing uh, this last song, I'm going to ask single parents, couples, whoever you are, grandparents, if you have a child living in your house, as the altar team comes up, I would like you just to spread across here. We're not gonna embarrass you or anything. We're actually just going to pray that the peace of God will come upon you and that he will begin to rule your heart because we know that that's where most chaos would happen. You can actually start to come forward now. If you have a child living in your house, no matter what your situation is, if you're single, married, grandparent, whatever, if you have a child living in your house, the altar team's gonna come forward. Just give us a little bit of space. And while we sing this song, we just wanna pray for you. And then we'll pray over everybody and then we will uh, break from this. So if you have a child living in your house, um, altar team, if you can help them, maybe just spread out all the way across so you're not backed up through the three ways you can go So my encouragement to you, uh, those of you who might be by yourself or might be a married couple with an empty home, you know, empty nest right now, is because we are to teach and counsel and encourage one another, you're included in this chaos. I want you to know that. You have an opportunity to come alongside them, to counsel, to encourage, to uplift, to pray for, intercede. We are in this together. We are one body. So Father, we just pray now that no matter the amount of chaos that's in our lives, that you, that we, we as a body of Christ will allow the rulership of Christ in our hearts so that peace will rule and reign. Let it be so in the most practical of ways. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Can you say amen? We'll have the altar team up here for a few more moments. If you have any other need for prayer, just come forward at this time. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.